Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. You know, and I don't know if you caught the thing that he was saying, but the thing about... um, it's his faith. Yeah, and that, that's really kind of a secret. You know, and I, when she first sent me that a few weeks ago, I'm like, I'm going to build a whole message around that. But I've got, I feel like something, the Lord put something different on my heart. But, but quickly, I do want to say that, and people get confused about this, manpower, I like that. He just, in his regular manpower, he can't do it. You can't do it in your woman power. You got to have some God power. Amen. I mean, I love the simplicity of it, but it's, it's a true reality that you have faith. You have a faith. You have a capacity to believe, and then what you do is you place that capacity to believe in the Lord, and from then on, it's like you plug into a higher, more powerful way of believing. All things are possible to those who believe. You get God eyes in your heart that from then on can see how God sees, And you look to heaven and get his perspective based on his promises, who he is, his testimony. And you actually live and see what faith means. Faith means to be persuaded. It means to believe something to be true. Faith is not like this commodity that you get once you become a Christian, that you got to figure out how to get more of it. Faith is simply this. You are persuaded of a thing. Our faith is in the Lord. We are persuaded of who He is. Amen? That's what faith is. It's it. And so when Jesus talks about little faith and great faith, it's not He has more than the other one has. It's He just happens to be, for whatever reason, more convinced of who God is in that area than that guy is. That's all it is. It's a confidence factor. And it has to do everything with a response to who God is. And that's all it is. And so now you actually live in, in Galatians 2.20. I was crucified with Christ, or yeah, crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Christ lives in me. Not I I live. I live by the faith of the Son. I live by the faith of the Son of God who died for me. So we actually, and in the Greek, it's interesting because it does say that we live by God's faith. You have a faith, you put it in Him by His grace, and grace is a gift. And you have the gift of God's faith in you. So bottom line, all that to say, and I'm piggybacking on what he preached and how awesome is that, you have the ability to be as persuaded of God's view as he is of his own view. You have the ability to believe as confidently in God as he does about himself. You just need to persuade your heart, open up your heart, and it works best in an environment of love. You know, people become more convinced of who God is when they become more convinced of his love for them. And, you know, you you enter into the gospel, you enter into Christianity at whatever age, and, you know, depending on whatever types of circles that you're in, whatever kind of friends that you have, and whatever denomination you end up in, and, you know, some people want to search after these secret mystical things and kind of get off and live this external thing, and some people get rooted in it's just the bible and the more the more we know the smarter we are and the you know all that stuff i'm kind of equal opportunity attack here for just a moment <laughs> but we're all one That's right. and 
we need to stop letting that stuff divide us, you know? Who's right? Who's wrong? I mean, there are some non-negotiables, and I'm going to read. In, would you hand me my iPad there, Sydney, please? I'm going to read a couple of things that put us in, the, you know, I think the right mindset. But our job as the body of Christ is to respond to God's love, let him love us, and be thankful, and live within that to the degree that we let his love for us grow us up so that we experience transformation. We live a repentant mindset lifestyle where we move toward him or move from him. Repentance meaning changing your mind, believing the truth, taking on his capacity to believe, seeing life how he sees it, seeing people how he sees them. And so kind of landing in where I wanted to go today into this message, so, so we know that, right? We know that we live in this place, and that's something that is just on my heart as a pastor to do and always bring into these messages is to help people live from the inside out, live from the reality that God is in you, God has perfected you by His Spirit. You are complete in Him. You lack nothing. You don't need to go to the anointed man of God and get an impartation to get something that God didn't already give you. That man might stir something up. I think there is some kind of heavenly energetic aspect of us activating and encouraging one another, but you have God in you. Say, I have God in me. I am complete. Amen. And I hope that you believe that. And I hope that that puts you on a pursuit where you, because here's what happens. Some people encounter different circles and they start to learn a little bit of new information and maybe they're focused on a particular path of wholeness and then you're in that place and you hear it and it sounds good and they sound like they know what they're talking about and you're like, ooh, maybe, I'm, maybe I do lack something. Maybe I need something of what they've got. And maybe I need to, oh, I don't know if I need to, this. You ever been there? Raise your hand if you, if you know what I'm talking about, yeah. And I don't want that. I don't want people to come into an environment of the gospel and feel like they're not good enough, feel like they lack something. And it's not just trying to smooth off the edges that do need to sharpen us, but we have to start from a place of completeness in Christ. And in an environment of freedom and love, people are free to discover that. And I think it's catching on, and I hear other, other pastors moving in that direction, and you know, once we have enough money in the bank account, we'll go buy a building so we can tell more people that good news. But here's where we are in this time, in this age, and in this, you know, earth and all the stuff that's going on. We are as divided as we ever could be. In the information age where we're learning more, the average person has the ability to learn more about life and all kinds of cool stuff than we've ever had. It's also being used to divide us. Learning and the information and the exposure is dividing us. But there's a very, very, very easy fix, and that is just to see each other the way that God sees us. There's really only two kinds of people on this planet, those who have God's Spirit in them and those who don't. Whatever nationality, skin cover, color, skin cover, that might actually be a better <laughs> skin cover. Whatever kind of cover you got on those bones there, you know. I actually like that one better. <laughs> See, because what sin does is it dries you up in the pot. It kills you, and, and you, you're dead on your own, and you need life. So God, you have to invite God into your life, and the only way that happens is through Christ. And from then on, it's like you get picked up out of that deadness and engrafted into Him, not for your effort, not because He wants you dead in that, but you make that choice, and we die on the vine ourselves. We die in our own pot, and we have to be put into Him. We have to be planted into God to have that spirit growing. And from then on, 
The secret of Christianity is living from the life that's coming from Him, not in our own effort. And I think that's what divides us theologically is so much distinction and division on how that process works. But that's not, that's not where I'm going today. Let me, this is a very simple message that I want to drill down on today, this idea that we are one in Christ. Amen? You can clap. Sorry, who was that? Clap louder. Or not. Thank you. <laughs> and, and we're clapping for Jesus, right? But we're, we are. We're one in Christ. That, you know, all of this division that's happening amongst believers over other issues, and I get it. Now, look, I don't want to undermine the reform and the changes that need to happen in particular institutions. I get it. I understand that. And I pray for that. And I pray for godly people, you know, like Mr. Crane over here that has a call to the political industry. Sometimes I think he might be crazy, but, you know, God puts crazy people in the right places. But it's like there are areas that do need reform. I do not deny that. That, that is a reality. Things need to change in their context. But my place is to speak to the spiritual aspect of it, right? And what I feel like is while we are supporting the right kinds of people, we're voting, we're taking action, we're doing whatever we feel like we need to do within our communities to positively create change and move and link arms with the people that need us to link arms with them, all of that stuff, right? We need to do that. But more than that, we must see each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, I'm not going to tell you anything revolutionary today. I'm just going to kind of remind us and maybe give us a lens to walk out of here with, with a little bit of responsibility as a believer in Christ to speak to these issues from a spiritual lens. We're one in Christ, and we don't know it. We actually share God's dignity and honor and worth. Like we share, like when you look at a brother and sister in Christ, you are looking at a facet of the glory of God. How dare we undermine each other because of behavior? No matter the outrage over whatever the issue, we've got to learn to repent and, re and right, bring our minds up to see Christ where he's seated at the right hand of the Father and then dip back down into whatever those issues that we're dealing with. And I'm talking about the obvious things that we're seeing, but also those issues in your family and with your boss and all that kind of stuff, right? So, and I've said a few of these things online recently, and we have one enemy, and it's not defined by race or political party or economic status or any of that kind of stuff. It's defined by whose are you? We are the Lord's. We have one Father. We have one Spirit that unites us all. And our enemy wants us to believe that we're different. Now, you know this, but I kind of just want us to like, this is kind of like a, this is, this, is our, this is our mindset as we move forward into these issues, right? So we must see each other with the eyes of our hearts, and we must see each other through God's eyes. How does God see this person, right? That guy that is totally abusing his power. How does God see that person? Now, there needs to be action taken. I'm not undermining. I'm not saying we just act like nothing's happening. That's not at all what I'm saying. But how do we see that? How does God see that person first and, for, first and foremost? And then we, then we move from there. It's a, just a small little calculation. Then we move forward, right? So into what you were saying, Laura, this is kind of what I want to get to. I'm not so sure that we even understand how God sees mankind in general. So this is Jesus praying. I'm going to read in John chapter 17. 
You know, I love John 17. And, you know, sometimes I think about how did they get this, right? Because this is basically Jesus alone praying to his Father before he chooses to allow himself to be arrested and nailed to that cross and die and pass into Hades for us. This is, he, this is what's on his heart. And what he's doing is he's praying for his followers, the 12 and probably the 70 he's speaking about. But then he also moves forward to talk about me and you. And this is the mindset that he says of them when he kind of starts to pull it all together. He says, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. And this is really my point that I want us to walk out of here today with in realizing I am not of this world. And if my fellow brother and sister has Christ within them, they aren't either. No matter what they've done, no matter what they are doing. And we might need to deal with what they're doing. But that's my brother. That's my sister. we got the same father. We are not of this world. We need to remind each other and treat each other with the respect and the dignity and the honor that we have. Even I mean, remember, Christ died for us when we were abusing our authority as humans on this planet. No excuses. Please hear me. I think, I think I've said that enough. I'm not going to qualify anymore. You know my heart on this. Not of this world. Not of this world. That's, that's the lens through which we're seeing. All right? So, and this is Psalm 8, 4, 5, and 6. And I'm actually reading this out of the Berean Study Bible. Uh, I kind of jump around. I feel like that's a pretty good one for some of these points. Anybody read the Berean Study Bible? It's kind of, I hadn't heard a whole lot about it, but... It's in one of the online resources that I have, and I, I like it. So this is David. David is out. You know, most of us know the story of David. He's out. He's kind of minimized by the rest of his family. He's too puny to be considered a king. He's out taking care of the sheep and the goats and all that kind of stuff, and he's out just singing and having fun with the Lord in the field. And I can just imagine he's out there one night and he's looking up and all these stars and there's no floodlights drowning out the light that's coming from the stars at that night. You know what I mean? He's just probably enjoying the presence of God as much as he could in his state. And he kind of waxes philosophical. Sydney and I had a philosophical conversation yesterday. You ever had philosophical conversations with your 18-year-old? It's fun. Like, it, it really is. It's a good thing. Anyway, what is man... You are mindful of him. So get this picture. Here's a guy. He's laying out in the field. He's looking up. He's taking care of the goats and the sheep. He's doing his job. He's probably alone a lot of his life. And he looks up and he's like, what are we doing here? I mean, what is this all about? It's weird that these things are alive around me. Like, that thing is alive. It's lit. And what are we? What, is he? what, are, what are we? David's going through the same kind of thing, right? You ever, anybody ever had those thoughts? And I don't mean you got to take the right drug to have those kind of induced thoughts. I mean, like you actually, you know what I mean? So he's like just thinking, what, what are we? What's going on here, Lord? And, and really, I kind of think that he prophesies the answer back to himself. He asks the question, and then he kind of hears from God. I think that's what we're seeing in this. He hears from God the answer to his own question, and it's recorded for us. So he says, you have made him a little lower than the angels. Most of you probably know this. If you don't know, it's very interesting. That word angels in the Hebrew is the word Elohim. Elohim is the word described to use, uh, used to describe God, the Trinity. 
the Elohim, the class of being that God is. And there's only one of them, right? He exists in at least, well, three parts, right? So Elohim is like the, the kind of, like if you could say we are humans, this, this is a feline, this is a canine, he is an Elohim. You ever think of God that way? Like what is he? Is it, am, I, am I okay to think that way? Maybe I'm getting a little too philosophical. But, but there's only one of them, and he is this thing that is incredible. And, and he's the creator, and he's all-powerful, and the all-sufficient one, and our Lord, and our God, and our Father. And we are created a little lower than him, above the angels. Now, I don't have time to go into the rest of the passages that actually talk about that. But we are created in his image. Not just we look like him, but we are created to be like him. As we are in Him, we become like Him. And that's an incredible thing, this journey that we're on. And we are right now in spirit already. Is this too much? Am I going too fast? Maybe I shouldn't have taken that, that second cup of coffee. But... All right, so we're created a little bit lower than God. You crowned Him with glory and honor. And if you go and you do a word study on these words, glory and honor, in our modern-day language, we would use dignity and respect, and worth, and value. You created him with value. When we think glory, we think clouds and stuff like that. And, and that is part of what happens when God shows up, right? Part of his glory, seeing him, that, you know, just cool, interesting things happen. But it's really talking about you've created him with a sense of dignity. You've created mankind to be respected, to be respectful of each other. Like, this is what God replies back to David when David says, what am I? He's like, well, you know, you are a being of dignity and honor and worth. I have value for you. I have so much value for you that when you're hurting and you can go no further in your life, I will come and die for you. I will go through everything that keeps you separated from experiencing my life and my inheritance for you to bring you back into that place because I have so much value and worth for you. Even when you were dead in your sin. That has to be the lens through which we see people. Going into this earth, remembering God died for this person. I mean, it's a very simple idea, and I think we kind of do that, but it's, it's like, no, it's a big deal. It's a big deal that we treat each other with respect and dignity and honor, that we walk in the commandment to love one another. So John, this is John 17, and I kind of jumped off subject, but John 17 is this prayer of Jesus before he allows himself to be arrested and goes through you know, the, the process of the cross, death, burial, and resurrection for us. And he's praying, and he's thinking about us, and he's praying about unity. And in this particular passage, this group of passages, so John 17, 20, I wanted to focus on and even end on. Well, I do have another one after this. So John 17, 20, I'm not at, so this is Jesus praying directly to his Father. And maybe the disciples are like hiding around a tree or listening or something like that. You know, I mean, how did they know? Maybe it was probably revealed by the Holy Spirit when John was writing this. That's probably the case. But it's still interesting. We have a glimpse into what Jesus was thinking before he died, before he gave himself up for us. And he's thinking about us. And he's praying that we would be one. Like, that's what's on his mind. I pray that they're one. So... I'm not asking on behalf of them alone, 
but also on behalf of those who will, be, who will believe in me through their message and say, that's me. Verse 21, that all of them may be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory, the honor, the dignity, the worth, the value that you gave me so that they may be one. Now, break this down a little bit. He's praying that they may be one. As we are one, the result is the world believes. And being one is framed by this. They treat each other with dignity, honor, respect, and value. Do you see that? So our love for one another shows that we are one in Him, and it, it does something to the world in such a way that it says, I want that Father too. But how we display that love, how we display that unity, is through the same glory that God gave the Son, and that is the same dignity, honor, worth, value, and respect. Do you see that? So in this environment... And, and you kind of just, if God were to show up and say, I've got a math equation for you of how to save the world. Here's how it is. You're in me. I'm in you. You're one together. We're in the same family. Done. That's, one, that's your constant, right? Here's the variable. You have that glory, and it's up to you to share within that glory with each other. And the way that you do it is loving one another, treating with each other with respect, dignity, dignity honor, value, worth. And as you do that, the world looks and says, that looks pretty good to me. I think I want that too. I think I want to be in that family. And it may be as simple as, look how they treat each other, but I think it's a little bit deeper in that people are craving value and worth. People are craving a sense of, who am I? They're craving a sense of identity and craving a sense of feeling like they're worth something. And more than anything, that is what we should be doing as the body of Christ, is showing people you're worth dying for. Yes. And what do we do? Well, you don't have the right beliefs, so you're canceled. We just write each other off so quickly. And it's not working. The enemy is having a field day. Drawing all these little boxes and lines and divisions. But it's our job to walk toward each other with that value and show people, look, you're worth it. You, you are worth me laying down my life and coming to you in whatever way that I can because you're valuable. I, you are worth the effort. That's what people want to feel. People don't feel like they're worth the effort. People, people aren't having experiences with other people that they walk away from and like, man, that guy, I really feel like that guy cares about me. You know, a lot of times we have encounters with Christians and it's kind of like, what does he want? Is his hand in my pocket? You know what I mean? It's like, see, what that guy really wants is this, you know? And of course, that's judgment. That's going to come in. But what if that were the collective impact of the body of Christ on the planet? People felt valuable. People felt worth listening to. People felt like their, ident their presence meant something. And I think that's why we see so much effort and outrage. And, you know, we identify with these issues. We identify with these classes and groups and races and all this kind of stuff. And 
And you know, I think it's fine to be proud of your culture and your heritage. That's great. I'm proud of this country. I'm proud to be an American. Woo! You know? But it's like, there's, a, there's an identity beyond that, right? And it's like, are we holding on to an identity so much that it causes us to forget our true identity and we're beating people up with this temporary carnal identity, we're not reaching out to them out of our true eternal identity. You know, what identity, what mindset are you in as you are trying to deal with the issues of life? What, what are you identifying as? What group are you identifying with? Again, I'm not trying to rub out all the issues. or not trying to, you know, act like that there's not things going on that need to be fixed. There are, absolutely. But we walk into those situations with the solution of the Spirit of God, loving first. And, and you know, all these, all these things come to mind, like seeking to understand before seeking to be understood, seeking to hear and listen and identify. You know, I have no idea what it's like to be black in this country. I have no idea what it's like for a few, just a few generations ago, my grandfather to be whipped to a bloody pulp because he didn't handle the corn right or something. You know what I mean? I have no idea what that's like. I would imagine that that would create a sense of, I'm a, you know, I can just imagine what that would do, I, but I have no idea. And so it's like, we have to, we need to understand, you know, like, I, I don't get it. Explain to me how you feel so that I can understand and I can approach it from your perspective where it makes sense. And I know how to deal with that, right? Because I don't know. And what if we did that for each other in whatever the issue might be? We understand. We look at each other. It's like, look, I have a value for you that transcends anything that we, are, that we might disagree over. Let's establish that first. Now let's move and deal with whatever it is that we actually need to deal with while we're temporarily here on this planet. Because that is the role of the church. Let me just read this just to have it in your mind and have it in the message. This is Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11, and this is what the church should be about doing, and, and it's something that I'm excited to do is, you know, just continue to focus on that layer of discipleship to get us trained up for the work of the ministry. You know, not, not my program, not our programs, but just this community being a, a garden within which we can partake of things together to be trained up to step out into those areas of ministry that God has put in our heart. So this collectively is what the church is about and what we're moving to. And I think it speaks to the point. So Ephesians 4.11, and it was he who gave some apostles, some prophets. Now, this is not apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. This is this way. Yeah. Apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers, you know. And everybody's on the same level playing field. It's not one on top of the other. None of those offices have authority over anyone else within the church. The apostle and the prophet and the teacher and the pastor and the evangelist do not, they are not your spiritual covering. They are not your spiritual authority. They hold an office in God's kingdom to carry out a function. But, they're, but we're the same. Amen? You have one, there's one anointing, one spiritual authority, and that is Christ. A lot of people disagree with that, but you're wrong. Let me keep going. <laughs> to equip the saints for the works of the ministry and to build up the body of Christ, to build up the body of Christ until... Now, only the Holy Spirit can do this. 
Because, like, every young pastor starts out and wants to meet all the other pastors in their community and thinks, this is great, we're all Christians and we're all pastors. And then you start meeting with other pastors and it's like, <laughs> just go over here and preach to my people. Until we, you know, so unity is not you're all going to believe the same thing. I think it's more so unity is we all acknowledge that we have the same Father, Amen. we have the same Christ in us, and that's about it. <laughs> that we have the same goal and mission, and that is move toward the world to love them, right? So anyway, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, as we mature to the full measure of the stature of Christ. 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed about by the waves and carried about by every wind of teaching and by the clever cunning of men and their deceitful scheming it's almost like he knows something, a thing or two, you know. Verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Christ himself, who is the head. Now, if each individual believer just, just said that, I'm going to grow up into Christ and carry the truth in love, that's a good start. So, and we will in all things grow up into Christ himself, who is the head, from him the whole body, and say, I am part of that body. And that, that's, what, that's why I think so many words are coming about, it, about an encouragement, about stepping out into your heart, stepping out into this and that, because it's like, as we all, and the body of Christ should be very creative. You know, like we need to give permission to the body of Christ to do things that may not look like normal church activity. That's fine, you know. It, there's going to be re really incredibly creative things that happen within the body, but, but, but might not be in an organized church, right. and, and we should encourage that and cultivate that, right? Uh, so fit it, and, 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 and you are, you're an important part of that body. You have a mission to fulfill. You know, God, God sent you to this planet so that you would be his child. Like, that's why God created, that's why, however he sends spirits wherever they go, you know, that'll be interesting, right, to get on the other side and see how he does that. I've always wondered about that, how he decides who goes where. That's, I think that's pretty much up to him. Then it's like, anyway. What was I talking about? Oh, your purpose. Your purpose is to be a child of God. Like the reason that you're here... It's because God said, I want this person as my child. But now that you're here and you've recognized me as your father, I've got some things for you to do. Mission, calling, whatever those things might be, assignments. So you have assignments. You have missions. You have very specific things that God would want you to do. And I think they're discovered as you start to step out in love toward people, right? So the question is not, God, what do you want me to do? The question is, who do I love? Now, let me actively love those people, whether that be a group of people caught in injustice or whatever the group of people might be, you actively start to move in love toward those people. You equip yourself, you train yourself, you gather the help that you need, you pursue the resources that you might need so that you can actively love those people. To me, that's how you define your mission and your calling and your, and your assignments. Living from your purpose, and that is to be a vessel of dignity and honor in God's kingdom, simply because you're his child, right? 
So for him, the whole body fitted and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love through the work of each individual part. We have personal responsibility to grow up in love and then we get to help each other grow up in love as well. And as we do, it shows the world, hey, look at those people growing up in love. I want to go grow up in love together. Oh, you mean it takes believing in that father? Okay, well, we'll get that part worked out. But I know that love is the invitation. And the Holy Spirit is way smarter than you are. And what those people need to hear and figure out within their hearts to yield and submit to him. Amen? Amen. So really, it just comes down to what he said. Love people. Love God. Love people. But there's a lot packed into that. You love them as you see, you know, the dignity and the honor and the value and the worth that people have. And I'm bad about this. And my kids laugh at me because I come up with some very creative names for other drivers, you know, like Zipperhead and Pumpkin Noggin or I don't know. You, how many of you make up names for the drive? Yeah, a few of you. A few of you will admit that. Yeah. And it, like they can hear us, right? Like, they can hear me, but it's like, you know what? God died for that person. I'm like, you dummy. Uh, I mean, Jesus, you died for that person, you know. And that's the oversimplification of the issue. But who makes you the, think about this. Who makes you the maddest? Uh-oh. I mean, think about it. Like, what issue do you see being misrepresented the most that makes you the maddest? You know, murder hornets ain't got nothing on your anger toward this particular group. Whether it's justified or not, what makes you the maddest? Think, just think about that for a minute because that's a good place to start. Those areas that make you angry, people that make you, and I, don't, I, I could throw out labels, but I really don't want to do that right now. But, but think about that. And, and, and so now here's your homework. Oh, no. <laughs> See, as I'm talking about, oh no, it's true. Oh no, you mean, oh, you mean we don't just get to sit and listen? I'm not throwing it. Uh oh, oh no. I mean, do, like, like, how much do you actually value people that don't know Jesus knowing Him? How much, how important is it to you that people that don't have a relationship with God discover his love for them? Because that's why we're here. You're not here to hear me. You're here to look at Jesus. You know, I'm just the dancing monkey up here. I'm the donkey that's prophesying. You know, if you're not familiar with the story of Balaam, Balaam is so far distant from God that God has to prophesy through his donkey and Balaam talks to the donkey as if it's actually talking to him. That's what we are. We're prophesying donkeys. God's voice coming through us so that they'll look at him. I think, it, you know, I think King James uses some fun terminology, you know, Jack. I was thinking about writing a book called Jackasses for Jesus. <laughs> you know, we're just dancing donkeys, pointing people to Jesus. If God can talk through that person, he can certainly. You know, the people that get all fired up about the supernatural and are impressed by other people prophesying, I'm like, if a donkey can do it, it's not that hard. <laughs> are you kidding me? 
operating in the supernatural and you go through all these stuff, it's like, it's pretty easy. You just let God work through you. Yes, you can. Sure. I get $1.25 for each one. <laughs> it's a great title, though, right? Yeah. But, I, you know, I'm, I'm making a joke, but I, I just I want it to settle in a little bit, you know, because I just don't want this to be a church where you come in and you, you like the message and you have, you know, you enjoy the worship. It's like, no, we've got some work to do. You know, the body of Christ has done some damage, and it's up to us to get out there and repair it. It's up to us to go, you know, it's like we've had this experience with the Father where we know His love for us. Now, why do we forget that He wants others to experience it as well? It's because we're, we're upset by something on this temporary earth that blinds us from sticking to that mission. And it happens. You're going to get angry. There's a prescription for it. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with it. You're going to get angry. It's natural. And you should over some issues. But how are you going to deal with it? They're people. They're people. And those people need Jesus. And the ones that have him need to be reminded that they have him. And, and, and there's no one solution, and it's different from city to city and culture to culture and mindset to mindset. The people in Minneapolis think different than the people in Atlanta, from the different from the people in Savannah, and different from the people in wherever else, you know. I mean, so that's where the body of Christ needs to be created. There's not going to be one simple solution for each city and each mindset and each church and each culture and each region and each country. It's just not going to be that way. You know, so it's like... It's, it's, the, it's the individual taking personal responsibility to grow up in Christ, in love. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Are you willing to take that responsibility? Yeah. Are you willing to move toward people recognizing they have worth, value, honor, and dignity? Jesus died for them just like he died for me, and that's the mindset that I'm going to put on the helmet of salvation which frames my thoughts that I'm saved and this person either needs to be or is. Like, that's how you see people. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. And thank you to those of you who support Forward Ministries financially. You truly are changing the way the world sees God. You're helping people detox from performance-based religion and experience God's love for them. We're committed to helping you renew your mind so you'll experience transformation and move forward in every area of your life. I pray you're making this hard journey. Visit my website at clintbyers.com for hundreds of free teachings and articles that will empower you to renew your mind and put on your eternal identity in Christ. I'm especially excited about my tools for transformation that have original music and modern technology designed to help you slow down and connect with the Spirit of God in your heart. I'd like to invite you to partner with Forward Ministries. Help us continue to spread the gospel and develop resources that are empowering people to grow in their identity in Christ. Thank you again for joining me. I pray God's blessings and promises over you and your family today.